This is a podcast of a sermon preached at Manitou Presbyterian Church on April 24th, 2022. The Old Testament lesson is Isaiah 6. The New Testament lesson is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. These are read by Betsy Hammond. The sermon, uh, the title is Here I Am, Send Me, is preached by Scott Starbuck. So let us pray. Gracious God, we have come to do what our structure assumes. We are all here gathered to sit under your word, uh, recognizing that this is not about entertainment and edification, but it is about discerning your call in each and every one of our lives, especially in the places that you have put us in this world, whether at home or with friends or in the workplace, and that you have a message, a call for us. And because of that, I pray that I would get out of that way. So, Lord, take the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, and even the reading of your holy scriptures and transform them into your holy word that is able to speak to us each individually as well as to direct us corporately. We pray this on the strong name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our Old Testament passage today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Hear the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go And say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate, 
until the Lord sends everyone far away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. From the New Testament, the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is known as Low Sunday. If you didn't get the memo, you actually technically had this Sunday off. You didn't have to be here. At least that's how Low Sunday is usually treated. Because after all, the High Sunday was last week, right? And we had flowers. We had brass. We don't have flowers or brass. Thank goodness for Spokane Area youth choir, right? They sort of move us off of that low Sunday feeling. But uh, you can understand it, right? I mean, what, what sort of happens with low Sunday is usually you get the, the second in pecking order preacher on low Sunday. Do you know how that works? Right? And um, sometimes... Uh, you get the second organist on Low Sunday. Um, what's going on there? Because if you think about it, where we've just come from, last week we celebrated the surprise of Jesus Christ defeating the power of sin and death. So this should be a bigger Sunday, because we're living in that. I mean, just imagine, this is easy to imagine, it is too bad that this is easy to imagine. Imagine being in a shelter in Ukraine and a missile hits the building. And after the dust clears, you're alive. And the people with you are alive. Would you sort of say, well, I think I'll take this day off now. I, I think what Low Sunday indicates is that slowly, maybe for all of the right intentions, we have adopted a different model for the church than a model that's sort of biblical, possibly. Um, entertainment model, 
voluntary society model, um, when I was looking at um, some things on church polity this week, someone was suggesting that a person in my position should be the CEO. Oh my gosh. That sounds dangerous. But this idea of the model that comes from Scripture is really important for today. Because the question is, in a moment, you're going to make a lot of promises. What are you promising to? Right? And your experience will be a lot different depending on which model we follow that we went over with the children. If it's the model where supposedly I know best, then I'm going to be telling you to do a lot. That's not going to be very good. I bet you didn't sign up for that. But if it's the model where the congregation knows best, and in our society that's often seen more from a consumer standpoint, then your life is going to be pretty miserable too. So hopefully I get this sermon right, and we can get to that third model, right? Otherwise, and this is why we're doing the ordination after the sermon, because you may not want to do this, right? Because that model that we lifted up for the kids is where all of us are in this together. We have different responsibilities. person in my situation doesn't really have power, except some power that you might give me, but I'm set aside to try to prepare the sitting under the Word each week. That's my job. And you do a great job of letting me do that. Um, you're not paying me to be the CEO. If you are, fire me, because I stink at it. Where's Helen? Biblical leadership. These two passages, I think, help sharpen our mind. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? This happens during the call of Isaiah, right after Isaiah's whole understanding of ministry, of God, of worship, of temple, is completely destroyed. And he confesses, I am a man of unclean lips, which is very unusual. Usually your lips were not something that was unclean in the Old Testament. He's a man of unclean lips, and he lives amongst the people of unclean lips because everything that they thought God was about, and in our language, church would have been about, was wrong. And he sees that in his vision. And what he feels is not stupid, but he feels like a traitor. And so, out of grace, when he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And he realizes that he might have a chance. He says, send me. But then he's given this call that sounds challenging to me at least. He said, God said, go and say to this people, keep listening, but don't comprehend. Keep looking, but don't understand. Isaiah, make the mind of this people dull. Stop their ears. Shut their eyes. So they may not look with their eyes, 
and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. I've always wanted to do this. Um, I've wanted to go in for like a job interview for a pastor, and I wanted, when they asked the question, what's your style of preaching? I'd say, well, what I try to do, like Isaiah, is first of all, dull everyone's mind. Then I throw in a healthy bash of pretty major confusion. And just, I wanted to see what would happen. I've never, I haven't applied for that many positions, but I've never had the courage to do that. But I've always had the sense that that's part of this call, especially because when Jesus tells his very first parable, the parable of the soils, his disciples come to him, and instead of saying, oh, Jesus, this is awesome, we love it when you give something like a children's sermon that we can finally understand, they said to him, and I now will quote them, Stop it! What are you doing? Don't tell these parables. And Jesus said, I tell these parables, and he quotes this passage from Isaiah. Now, we've talked about this before. The way the parables work is when we look with our eyes and we listen with our ears, we think we get it. We think we get it, right? Like the parable of uh, the prodigal son, the father's God, right? We think we get it. But then we wake up in the middle of the night like three days later and we realize, oh my gosh, the father can't be God. The teaching is supposed to of a parable, take us from being in the world and enable us to begin to think, but not being of the world. And this is met first with confusion, not with a sense of, well, we know what we're doing. Um, so I could dull your mind if I brought up the Presbyterian Book of Order, right? But I want to quote one line that explains what we're doing this morning. In F3.0204, you with me? When you are installed and ordained, this is what you are to do. You are to both seek and represent the will of Christ. Wow. In our system, everyone who is ordained has that charge. To seek and represent the will of Christ. And then the explanation is that presbyters are not simply to reflect the will of the people, but rather to seek together to find and represent the will of Christ. 
Now, what we don't believe is that somehow any of us have a monopoly on that. We all sit under the Word of God together. And so seeking the will of Christ and representing the will of Christ isn't just simply what you will do with your other elders and deacons. We will all do that together. But ultimately, especially if you're on the session, you are the authority for that in this church. I am not. That is your call. And I can see just looking on your faces, this is sort of an Isaiah moment, isn't it? One way that I think about this, um, and this comes from what we know about um, healing from trauma. There are four basic responses that we can offer to people who have experienced trauma. Three don't work. And only one has the possibility of working. It's not a guarantee. The first one is to completely ignore the trauma. That's pretty obvious, right? And yet at the same time, how much of our lives do we do just that? And one of the questions that we might have is, does the church do that? Another response is to try to do things to people, which usually takes a form of blaming the victim. I heard this once as a pastor where someone experienced a great difficulty in life and the person's sibling said to me, but that's okay because she's not a believer, right? And so what we would do to the person is say, if you have the right theology and we can provide that, then you can avoid trauma. That doesn't work. The last thing that doesn't work is doing things for people. And this is the harder thing for us because we are big-hearted and charitable. We want to respond. I know our hearts are pouring out just trying to figure out what can we possibly do about any number of situations, including the situation in Ukraine. But ultimately, the church isn't supposed to be in a rescuer role. The one thing that works, and the reason why I picked a trauma model is in our theology, we believe that the great trauma for all human beings is being alienated from God and from one another. The one thing that does possibly work is being with people, sharing life, sharing our blessings sharing our love, which is ultimately, and maybe unfortunately, more demanding than doing stuff to people, doing stuff for people, and certainly more demanding than ignoring them. It's being with them. Somehow we tried to capture that when we just put these words out there, which is what you do, right, in the internet, authentic, hopeful, worshipful faith. 
we have said, whatever your past experience with church has or has not been, you are invited to be part of our conversations and happenings in person or virtually. And then the trauma. We live in confusing, divisive, isolating times, and it is our prayer that you will experience authentic hope in the midst of it all. I really like that. But I also know it won't happen unless we as a congregation know how to be with. Because it's not something we can do two or four. In the last 20 years, this church has tried in various ways, we haven't always been successful, to be what is known in pastoral circles as a missional church. I can still remember very early on uh, going to Chicago and sharing a room with Rick at a missional church event. Uh, we actually brought the leading theologian in the entire world here to our church to talk about the missional church, and we had six people show up. Daryl. Missional church is hard because what the missional church takes very, very seriously is what we're talking about. And it does so by setting aside something else that seems like it should be there, but ultimately in the end, maybe it doesn't really bear the fruit that Christ is looking for. And that is program. Right? The missional church seeks to be the church out there in the world. It doesn't seek to be the church with the best program. So we don't have the spirituality of yoga happening here. We could. But would that not only be a good use of our resources, would that take us out of being in the world? You see how that sort of works. And because of that, it places any church ultimately much more in this position of dependency on what Christ is doing in the world than what we might take pride in ourselves. Just to prove that this isn't something new, um, this hymn that we sang, I think, has been around here for about 15 years now. And one of the things that our community put together is this phrase that we want to build community with people. There's that language of with. Called by God, though whom the world may shun. With, there's that with again, with Christ Jesus, living, praying, and then ultimately what you're going to try to do, not our will, but Christ be done. This has been part of our DNA for a long time. And yet over the last 20 years, we've also had to be in the world. We have to be in the real world. There's all sorts of administrative things that we have to worry about. And so having that balance between what it means to be the church in the world but not of the world is part of what you 
today or joining in this larger reflection and discussion and leadership about. Did you notice, especially in the New Testament passage, it took on sort of an apocalyptic, eschatological tone? In 1 Peter, the end of all things is near. I think often in my life, I've been embarrassed by that. I'll be honest. There's a part of me that wishes that the New Testament writers didn't think that the world was ending like they did so quickly, right? And so there's been a part of me that's wanted to try to get us to look at something else in the passage. Pastorally, I've been talking to a number of octogenarians who, given the way in which they see the world moving, have expressed to me that they are starting to lose hope and even hope for their own living. The church has hope. Christ has hope. But it's not a hope that is strongest when everything's working out. It's actually a hope that is most centered and vibrant when all hell is breaking loose. And as I've thought about these two passages that have at their core fear of destruction and end, and they're almost re-traumatizing, the question I want to ask is, Will we be better serving together to seek and represent the will of Christ if, on the one hand, we assume that we are stewarding an institution that will last forever, or, you know, we don't know, long how, we don't know how long we'll have. And so maybe we have to be more focused. Maybe we have to be more centered. The way I think about this personally, um, uh, I don't know if you guys do this, but uh, some time ago, maybe it was in COVID, I started uh, checking the obituaries, and there's a lot of people who have died who I don't know, but you know what I notice? I notice their ages. And I notice their ages when they fall into my age range. And I hate to tell you this, but they're increasing. And so what I think is in my mind, I have all of these plans, like with my children, that extend forever. But maybe that's not good. Maybe it's better for me to be a dad, to take one day at a time to not take anything for granted, and to realize that those moments that we have together even today 
can be fully embodied with the will of God. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying the end of the world is coming. I am saying there's some reason why God inspired the New Testament writers to put all of what it meant to follow Christ in the context of something as crazy as Ukraine. There's some reason for that. And now is a good time for us to maybe think upon that. Because what the author says is this. Like, just imagine this being a sermon today in Ukraine. Be serious and discipline yourselves. Maintain constant love for one another. You know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you have. Trust those gifts. And whoever speaks must speak as if they are speaking the very words of God. Because words matter. And whoever serves must do so with the strength that that God supplies. This is a big thing, coordination and installation. But it's it's a thing of grace. And on our side, our response is focused. Having heard that, if it's still your intent, this is sort of like in the wedding where you sort of talk about what marriage is about and then you say, if it's still your intent to wed yourselves together, step forward. If it's still your intent, please take a position on the stairs. Thank you for listening to this podcast of a sermon delivered at Manitou Presbyterian Church. For more information about how you might connect either online or in person with Manitou Presbyterian Church, please visit www.manitou.org. All blessings in the name of Jesus Christ to you today.